Hey, I'm Allison Howell. You're listening to The Trunk Show brought to you by RW Elephant. It's the mighty inventory management software for your event rental business. Normally on this show, I talk with founders of leading event rental companies about their rental adventures, but this episode features a special guest. Well, my name is Annette Stepanian, and the short of it is I'm a lawyer for entrepreneurs and small business owners, and I really just help get folks like get the legal stuff ready when it comes to their business. I know it's the stuff that is so not sexy. You know, we would all rather be on Instagram and kind of working on our photos and whatnot, but it's such an essential part. Annette knows you've worked hard to put your business together, but wants to remind everyone that running a rental business isn't just about buying trips and growing your number of Instagram followers. She says you need to think of your business like a burrito. A burrito? That's coming up, plus free legal advice on The Trunk Show. I went to school down in Southern California, Loyola Marymount for law school. And yeah, the traditional path when you're in law school is to get that big law firm job. And so I did that. And that brought me out here to the Bay Area in San Francisco. And I practiced litigation for about six years here. And um, just over time, I felt like it really wasn't what I wanted to do long term. So long story short, (laughs) I left the job. I started my own jewelry line, and then through that process, I started working with a lot of entrepreneurs, creatives, freelancers, and I started to see a real need for legal information and education and resources for people in that industry, uh, in that kind of that market. Um, And so I felt like I could speak creative, but I could also speak legal, and so I thought it was a really nice way to marry the two skill sets. So do you still make jewelry? I don't, but I have a nice stash. (laughs) Ooh, yeah, that's always good to have that that backup supply when you need it. So when you're thinking about like a small creative business owner, like in this case, obviously we're talking to a lot of rental business owners, it seems like there's some overarching areas of the law that you're concerned that they pay attention to. Like I have a burrito analogy. Whoa. Do you want the burrito analogy? Sure. I love burritos. I do too. Um, I could eat a burrito every day if Mm. I could. But um, so basically, it's, it's, there are certain ingredients that go into having a legally protected business when it comes to you know, small business owners. Um, and I like to compare it to the burrito because it's just fun. So the um, foundational stuff, it's kind of like your flour tortilla, right? It's yeah. what is going to kind of create that base for you so that you could put in all the fun stuff. And that's, you know, like you said, the legal entities, choosing that, getting your permits, um, getting the right licenses, setting yourself up like the right way um, from a tax perspective and knowing that 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 might change over time. Uh, But at some point you want to have that solid foundation or flour tortilla (laughs) um, in place. Then you have the carne asada, which is the contracts. Do you see? Yeah. They all start with the same letter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really the meat of your business, pun intended. Um, That is what a lot of service-based entrepreneurs, like day in and day out when it comes to legal things, that's what they're going to be dealing with. Um, You know, your client service contracts, your contracts with vendors, your contracts with independent contractors you might hire, photographers, whatnot. So that is a big chunk of it. Um, next is your online communications, um, which I call the onions. <laughs> um, mm. And those, a uh, lot of us are running online-based businesses nowadays. Um, I, I, I can't imagine somebody who doesn't have an online presence of some, at, at least they would have a website, uh, right. if not social media, an email list, 
Well, there are rules around that or rules around what you can and can't say, rules around the data collection and, you know, what you can and can't do with data that you do collect. Sure. Um, even like if you're doing partnerships and I don't know, this, this might not impact um, event rental companies as much, but things like sponsored posts and affiliate relationships, there's rules around what you, what you should be disclosing there. Sure. Then you have the pinto beans, which are your people. <laughs> um, and that has to do with obviously everything around hiring, um, working with whether they're interns, employees, or independent contractors. Right. And then finally, you have your cheese and toppings, and that is your copyrights and your trademarks. Um, so that's like kind of the fun stuff um, that has to do with the creative content that you create or produce or utilize. Uh, as well as your brand slogans, your brand names, your logos, and kind of protecting all of that intellectual property. And so that's something that maybe most people won't have to deal with on day one. Maybe they do, right. uh, but that's kind of that the the legal burrito, so to speak, um, in terms of different ingredients that you need to be thinking about. Yeah, well, that's helpful. I think. Um you know, contracts always comes to mind when people think like, oh, I've got to get my legal ducks in a row. And sometimes, you know, your business entity, but I think those other parts are not necessarily things we think are applicable to us when we're starting out or even three years in or five years in, or when we're small, you know, when we think like, oh, I've only got a couple people working for me. It doesn't really matter if they're employees or contractors, or I don't really know what the difference between an employee and an intern is, or, you know, those sorts of issues. Like it seems like small business owners kind of feel like the rules don't apply to them in those kind of situations. Um, but according to your, your burrito, they do. <laughs> well, a simple example is the trademark. So on day one, you may think, well, I don't need to worry about trademarks. I don't really have like an established business. I don't even have a right. logo or whatever. But, you know, a consideration is, well, when you're picking your company name, your brand name, you want to make sure that you aren't infringing on somebody else's trademark. And I see right. that, especially in the wedding industry, there are a lot of names that are very similar. It'll be something and something, you know, like a color and an object. Right. And that's <laughs> uh -huh. great. That's great. There's nothing wrong. Like there's nothing, um, wrong about it other than what happens is, um, there are a lot of similar ones or it creates kind of confusion in the c consumer of right. what the, the brand name is. And so that's a, a really simple example of, yeah, you may not be ready to maybe register your trademark on day one, but I think there is value in, running a search, being very, at least being educated about that so that you're not inadvertently using uh, a name that might either already be registered or maybe what's called confusingly similar to one that's already registered or in use. Um, but if you don't know where the kind of the landmines are, then right. you can't navigate. Uh, right. You can't navigate around them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of navigating through landmines, you recently launched your legal BFF. Can you tell us about that? I'm so excited about this for you. Well, your legal BFF, I recently kind of rebranded it and relaunched it. It's always been in existence, but kind of was living under my own website. But basically sure. your legal BFF is uh, really designed to be your go-to uh, resource, kind of like your legal bestie when it comes to kind of do-it-yourself contract templates and online training. So there was just a huge need for people who maybe aren't necessarily ready to work one-on-one -on -one with a lawyer 
or maybe they're not, they, they want to work with a lawyer, but that lawyer doesn't really understand what they do and doesn't right. understand their unique industry. And so they want to get their legal ducks in a row, but they're kind of in this, in the situation where they don't know what the best solution is. So because I've had the benefit of working with folks across a variety of industries, I do have that intimate kind of industry knowledge. Um, And so I've just taken that and have translated that into contract templates and trainings. And so it's kind of, it's always been there. It's just gotten a facelift and it's kind of, it's my own sister brand um, to really be specific and tailored to those types of um, just you know, customers who are kind of at that stage in business or have that need. Yeah. Um, Along those lines, or maybe kind of in addition to that, can you share with us some of the most common legal issues that you see your clients running into, particularly in the wedding or event space? Uh, And this is obviously a generalization. You know, someone might have an employee issue on day one and some might have an employee issue on day three when they're ready to hire. Um, Generally speaking, you know, like I said, Contracts are kind of the meat of your business. They're your carne asada of that legal burrito. Um, And with contracts, what I find is because sometimes it's so intimidating, it's not sexy, nobody wants to spend their afternoon drafting a contract, what ends up happening is a lot of people are copying and pasting different samples from different people, uh, from different peers in the space, from something they found on the internet. And uh, what ends up happening is a, probably the sample that they're using is not industry specific. Um, it's probably not been, B has not been written by a lawyer and like, see, they have no idea what they're doing. (laughs) So they kind of are just putting terms that seem like it looks like legally, you know, legitimate and it sounds kind of official. And they put that in there and they're like, okay, good. I could cross this off my to-do list. Um, I'm going to go and like take cute Instagram pictures. So what ends up happening there is you have a client issue and then right. you're like, you go to the contract and you see either your con- contract doesn't address it or it's confusing or whatnot. And so that's kind of when the first problems, like the first inklings of like, oh my goodness, um, I need to take, be serious about this is either because you, you can't, you had a close call. Um, you actually right. had a nightmare situation or you heard of somebody who had a close call or a nightmare situation. So with that, it's, you know, contracts are evolving documents. It's not a set it and forget it type of thing. You know, you don't just do it once and then never touch it again for the next like 10 years. Um, I do recommend that people revisit them at least once a year to make sure that it reflects their current policies and procedures. But I do think there's a lot of value in, you know, with my templates, what I do with the service agreements is I don't want to just give you a, do- a template and then be like, go, go do it. Right? right. What I do is, um, I actually walk you through a process of thinking about how you want to architect your business. And once right. you have that, and once you know, kind of where your business want, like where you want it to go, how you want it to function, only then do we start diving into the contract template sure. and with the contract template, we go through and I go paragraph by paragraph and explain to you what all those things mean so that you're doing it very intentionally and with um, int- like that background information in mind. So hopefully you're, my goal is that you'll be confident when you're presenting a client with a contract or if a client comes with a question, like you're prepared to answer it. Sure. Um, so that's kind of the one big thing that I think, like if there's one thing you need to do is get yourself a really solid contract um, because that's where most of the kind of day-to-day conflict is going to um, come from. 
So do you have any thoughts about like how to communicate with your clients about what's in your contract? Um, or do you just say like, oh, as long as it's in the contract, hand it to them. If they sign it, then you move on. Like, yeah, I think the, uh, you need to walk into every client relationship, assuming that nobody's going to read your contract because most people aren't going to, unfortunately. Um, right. and so if you're relying solely on your contract to communicate your policies, your procedures, um, it, it is a vehicle to communicate them, um, but it shouldn't be your sole vehicle. Right. You know, when you, that first inquiry comes in, kind of how you are educating them about what their expectations can be uh, when they work with you. Because you have to realize, especially in the wedding and events industry, most of your clientele has never, ever worked with someone like you before. Sure. So it's your role to educate them. And so whether you do that through on your website, whether you do that through kind of the um, emails that follow once they um, they submit a, a, a contact form, or I don't know if you have some sort of brochure, then the contract is definitely one of those places as well that you just continue reiterating that. You do want the contract because if they say, well, I didn't know, you can always point to the contract and say, well, it was in there. Um, well, and you know, I think it's pretty beneficial in the sales process to be able to point to things in your contract and show your client, this is how we deal with damages because we want to make sure that the items that we bring to your event are in rentable condition or pristine condition or whatever it is. So it seems to me like um, trying to couch that information in context of how it's in the best interest of your customer ultimately really helps you communicate those things and also helps your customer feel like you're looking out for them too, not just for yourself. Yeah. A contract really should be, you want it to protect both parties, right? Obviously you want it to protect you, <laughs> yeah. but you know, most people aren't going to sign a contract that kind of hurts them. Right. So sure. you're, you want to kind of have that balance too. And if it's, that's why with, with the templates, it's so beneficial to, um, what we do at the first step is think through those things. You want to be very thoughtful about how are you going to structure your business for issues just like this, where, okay, you want some sort of a reasonable contract. Like what would happen if I was the client? Would I sign right. this? Would this be something I was okay with? Um, and so you want to just, you want to take the time to think through those things and not just rush through them. Uh, because inevitably these issues will come up with a client and you want to right. be prepared with a policy in place. And I think that also gives client's comfort knowing that, oh, this person's really thought it through. This person's like a legit company. This person's a professional. Right. <laughs> I was on a call with our financial planner a few weeks ago and he's been on my case to get certain like documents in order. <laughs> and I'm like, but Jay, I'm like, I know it's important, but I have to like, it's going to be so expensive. And he was like, if you can't afford the solution, you can't afford the problem. And I just was like, yeah. What? yeah, it's so true. It's like, it is a little bit like, um, you know, the stuff that we're talking about is a little bit like insurance, you know, you hope you never have to use it. Um, right. but having it kind of, it, it, it has so many other benefits than not having it. Um, right. and it's a little bit of time and energy and money spent up front to hopefully prevent, you know, something down the road. And, you know, the question is how many close calls are you willing to to experience until you actually do something about it. 
So one other question I get asked about all the time, you know, we have clients who participate in things like styled shoots or marketing opportunities where they have either given their inventory for free or at a discounted rate to somebody else in the industry or some kind of publication in order, you know, in exchange for exposure. Um, but then when all is said and done, they don't get mentioned or they're tagged wrong or they don't get the credit they thought they were going to get. I know you have a lot of templates for things like, um, styled shoot agreements or marketing agreements. So it seems like on the, on the front end, you really encourage people to sort of get that explicitly happening up front to make sure like everyone's on the same page about if I provide you with 10 chairs, then you will provide me with six references or whatever. But tell us what you would do in, in a case where that doesn't happen. Even if you have a contract, like you probably wouldn't like send a cease and desist letter first thing. Like what kind of language would you use to rectify that situation? Yeah, look, a lot of it is, it's just, it's people stuff, right? So you want to go back to whoever was coordinating the shoot. I mean, and just like try and reach out to them and just say, hey, this is what I was promised. Um, Well, first I would want to get my product back. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Make sure I got that back. Um, But um, follow up with them and just, you know, indicate that like, hey, how come this wasn't this? this didn't happen. I didn't get recognized. See if, you know, sometimes it's a mistake on somebody else's part. If that doesn't work, go to the publication itself. Um, so whether it's a blog or whatnot and say, you know, I was, these are my tears. These are my, you know, um, whatever rentals I want to be properly credited. Um, you know, obviously having something in writing, whether it's one of my templates or it's in, uh, like an email is helpful (laughs) so that you have something to point to. Um, but I think in that situation, I would just try and try and work it out with either the person who coordinated the shoot or the photographer and whoever was submitting it and, or the publication. Um, and then if you can't get through, I mean, at that point, you know, it's, it's tough because I don't, I don't want to give like a blanket statement because I could see how, if it's like published in some you know, bride magazine, you want to make sure you get the credit. Sometimes I say, you know, is it worth it for you to like, spend your energy here? Or do you just like take this as a learning lesson and move on? So you'll just have to make that determination for yourself. But I think at a certain point, we're all wronged in a lot of different ways. And sometimes you just have to kind of look the other way because the cost of like proving yourself right is gonna, it's, it's, it's too high because it's taking your like energy away from things that are more constructive. So Okay. That's the gem right there. That's the tweetable thing. Okay. Like everyone should pay attention to what Annette just said. Like we are all wronged, but sometimes it's more worth it to use that energy to go a different direction because we can't always have it made right. Not that we shouldn't ever try to have it made right, but man, that is so true. It's so true. You know, I just, for me, sometimes I just look the other way because and I, I file it away in my like mental filing cabinet of like, Oh, that was interesting. Now I know for next time that I'm not going to work with this person or whatnot. Um, well, let's talk for a minute about parting ways with a client. I know, um, you know, you've talked about the fact that contracts are living documents and sort of, we should be revisiting those as we're like every year as we're thinking about starting a new agreement with a new client. But what if I'm in a relationship with a client and it's not working for whatever reason, I can't meet their expectations. Um, or I am unwilling to meet their expectations at this point. Like, what do you, what do you think is good practice at that point? 
Well, I think it starts before then. Um, oftentimes, this is why the cut and paste contract situation is not always the best way to go is because yeah. one of the biggest mistakes I see is that people don't have a way to get out of the contract. They'll have a way that the client can get out of the contract, but it mm-hmm. doesn't itemize or address anything where the service provider wants to get out. So that's one thing that I really like for people to think about and include in their contracts. It's like, what if I want to get out? What if this person's a nightmare? What if I want to, you know, something happened, there was a family situation and I can't perform. Um, right. And so that's the first thing. Uh, so assuming that that's in your contract, you would just read and do what your contract says, but it can still be a sticky situation, especially, um, you know, for people in events and weddings, it can be, there's a lot of emotion around that. You don't want to kind of leave these people in a bad situation. So I would think about, okay, in the event that I want to get out, what is it that I can, um, I mean, look, again, it depends. Like if the client hasn't paid you, you're in a different situation <laughs> than right. if they've paid you. And then you're just like, I just can't deal with this person. I want to get out. Um, so you want to always, I always say like, I always like to put kind of the shoe on the other foot. Like what if I was in that situation? What if that was like, I was the bride. And then at the last minute, my like event rental company was like, sorry, we can't like fulfill our end of the bargain. Like, what are the things I would be concerned about? What would make me feel better? You know, and sometimes it's just explaining the situation. Like I had a client, she was a wedding planner and like the bride and the groom were just like, it's like a month before the wedding and it was a destination wedding. And she's like, I can't do this wedding. It's going to be, it's going to be a disaster because they're just like all over the place. Like I can't rein them in. And she just Mm -hmm. went, I was like, listen, just go have a talk with them like, be like, I'm the boss. Like you hired me to do this. Like, are you going to trust me or are you not going to trust me? Because I'm ready to walk out, you know? And, and she had that talk and they kind of got their act together and ended up being a great wedding. But you want to kind of prepare yourself for that conversation. Um, explain to them, like, I can't, I can't do my job because of X, Y, and Z. And so I need these things to either change, um, or I'm going to have to walk out if it's not a situation where it's like the client's behavior or actions or lack thereof, um, you know, maybe have a backup plan, say like, Hey, I, I can't perform it, but here I have this other rental company, um, who can, you know, uh, fulfill these things. Or I found another place right. where they can like, so I, I've sourced these chairs for you. Um, again, it kind of depends, you know, if they haven't paid you, you know, and they're totally blowing you right. off, you don't have to be so accommodating. Um, but if it's right. a situation where they've kind of done their end of the bargain, but for whatever reason you need to get out, I think just exercising some kind of compassion, um, and real true, like customer service, like owning up that, Hey, we messed up here, but we're, let's make the best situation out of it. Um, is, I mean, that's all you can really do. Right. Yeah. Um, I think I've also, seen a lot of my clients experience a sort of too many cooks in the kitchen scenario where maybe their contract is with the bride, but the mother of the bride or the mother of the groom is super opinionated and calling and saying, Oh, make this change or make that change or make this change, you know, or even other vendors are involved, you know, um, how do you suggest that people deal with multiple people wanting to make changes to an order or direct, direct the day, um, when the contract is with one specific person, how do you, how do you think that should go? Yeah. I mean, in the beginning, if you find that this is happening a lot, (laughs) it might be good to, in your contract include, I think I did this for a client once 
where she would have them identify exactly who the contact person was and that she would only take direction from this person unless otherwise notified in writing by whoever signed the contract, right? Or basically like put like limit, like from the beginning, like just cutting that and just saying, Hey, I'm only taking direction from this person. Um, unless otherwise notified in some formal way. Um, but assuming that you haven't had that, you know, you don't have that in your contract. Um, one of the things is, is, is really being clear on who is your client, you know, in your conversations. Um, like I'm sure you guys do calls where you kind of do design boards and things like that. Um, and just, if you start sensing it right away, like trying nipping it in the bud as much as you can. But if a conflict comes up, I, I mean, I would probably just get the people together and be like, listen, like I'm being told different things from different people. And I need to know by like X date, like who is the person I need to be taking direction from? (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I'm, I'm wondering if you could give us a little bit of a rubric or a metric when you think about your clients and as they progress through business, you know, obviously there's sort of a, a new stage when you're just starting out and then there's maybe three to five years in and then there's seven years or 10 years or maybe it's number of employees, you know, when you're a solo entrepreneur versus two employees versus 10 versus 50. Um, I just, I'm wondering if you can give us an idea of like what kind of health checkers, how do we take our legal temperature at sort of each of those points you know, I'd, I'd go back to kind of my, the legal burrito. Like I've given you the five ingredients, um, and just educating yourself on like, okay, well, what is a copyright? What's a trademark? Um, and then just knowing that like, okay, when that ingredient kind of comes into play, that's time for me to like, maybe check in, um, into Mm. that issue. But generally if I had to like break it down, it would be kind of the first few years you're talking about your, like your legal foundation, you're getting your contract set up. And then maybe around like your two to like five year mark, you're, you know, you're kind of in a groove, you're making consistent money. Um, you start to realize, okay, I have a lot to lose here (laughs) because I'm actually making money now. Um, that's when people start to really get serious, um, is when they start to make like real money. Um, and they want to protect it. And so that's where, you know, you'll probably revisit your contracts. You'll probably revisit your, like your foundational stuff. Maybe you're a sole proprietor. Now you want to become an LLC. Um, and then at that point, depending on the business, you might be ready to trademark, you might be ready to register your copyrights, um, and or hire, but there's just, there's not one, you know, one formula. Cause like I said, some businesses require that you hire somebody on day one. You know, some businesses don't, you can get by with like your sister-in-law and your brother-in-law helping you for a few years, you know, with the deliveries until (laughs) they're like, I'm done. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed hearing from Annette, AKA your legal BFF. Check out the show notes to find links to her website and Instagram. And while you're digging into the show notes, look out for the link to join the RW Elephant mailing list. That's where you can find more event rental industry resources and happenings. Now, keep listening for my lightning round of questions with Annette. 
Okay, a business book you'd recommend? There is actually just one chapter in one book that I recommend people read. And it's The Tribe of Mentors by Tim Ferriss. You can even go online. He has it available in a podcast form where he reads it. And it's, I think, the 17 questions that he's asked himself that have made the biggest difference in his life and his business. And that's something that hmm. I'll revisit regularly because I think they say what, like the quality of your life is measured by the quality of your questions. Um, and I think he, he asks some really profound ones that kind of make you, I think what he's really good at is making you kind of question why you do things <laughs> and kind hmm. of challenging your assumptions. And that chapter yeah. does that. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay. Um, besides your own podcast, which by the way is called office talk in case you're looking for more Annette all the time and who isn't looking for that. Um, besides your own podcast, is there a podcast you love? I pop in here and there. I'm not a regular podcast listener, but I do love, um, the life coach school by Brooke Castillo. Um, and then I love, um, James Wedmore's mind your business podcast. Mm, Okay. Well, who inspires you? (laughs) Um, I have to say this is going to sound really cheesy, but my husband really does inspire me. Uh, dream vacation destination. Um, I would love to go on an Island somewhere. Uh, three things outside work you love to do. I love hanging out with my dogs. Um, they're golden doodles. I don't do enough of this, but spending some quality time with my girlfriends and I do love eating ice cream. Ooh. <laughs> I'm a Baskin Robbins girl. I love Jamocha almond fudge Ooh, with extra uh-huh. chocolate sprinkles. Nice. Nice. Good yeah. to know. Um, business tool you couldn't live without. Um, oh, there's so many, but probably my business, my, um, my calendar, the Asana or Asana, I don't know how you pronounce it, but my like to-do mm-hmm. list. Got it. Okay. So here's your final question. What do you enjoy most about your entrepreneurial adventure? I love the people that I've met. Thanks for listening to The Trunk Show brought to you by RW Elephant. If there are guests or topics you'd like to hear on the show, let us know. I'm Allison Howell. Happy renting.